At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Lease the 2024 RX 350 Premium All-Wheel Drive for $528 a month for 36 months with $49.99 due at signing. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer in the Lexus Eastern area and it's April 1st, 2024. Welcome to 3 Yards Per Carry, but before we go on with today's episode, let me tell you about a great sponsor of the 3 Yards Per Carry podcast, and that is AutoNation. If you're looking to buy or sell a vehicle, AutoNation is where you want to go. They're the largest auto retailer from coast to coast, and the friendly and knowledgeable staff here in South Florida will help you save big on huge selection of new cars, trucks, and SUVs. Toyota, Honda, Chevrolet, Mercedes-Benz, and much, much more. If you're looking to buy pre-owned, shop AutoNation's huge selection of one-priced pre-owned vehicles. They're all clearly marked with one price, their lowest price, guaranteed. Or if you just want to get rid of that old car, turn it in for cash today. Get a top dollar offer and check the same day. They'll buy your car with no purchase necessary. Is your check engine light on? Right now, get their services you need at low AutoNation prices, oil changes, tires, batteries, and more, all for less. Call or visit AutoNation.com to schedule your appointment today. If you are in the market for a new car, DM us at 3 yards per carry. That's at the number 3 yards per carry on Twitter, and I'll give you an AutoNation senior manager your info so they can reach out to you directly and walk you through the buying process. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. Uh, preseason football has started. We are here with the latest from what happened against the Atlanta Falcons. I am Simon Clancy. Uh, I was in Philadelphia and didn't see the game, hence why I'm leading tonight. Chris is here, obviously. Alfredo is here, obviously. They did see the game, but we'll have insight for you throughout. And then we'll look ahead to the practices this week against the Buccaneers, which the boys will be at. I won't be at because I don't live in that country. But anyway, boys, how are you doing? Great. Good. I'm wonderful. Christ. We're in for a long yeah. night, people. This is, this is going to be... <laughs> Dolphins football's back. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, another so, year. No, it, it was exciting. Year. I'm, Okay. Our Miami Dolphins defeated the Atlanta Falcons. Um, mm-hmm. You boys saw the game. Give us a kind of an overall takeaway, first of all, before I sort of drill down into some, into some minutiae, into some details. What, you know, what, what did you think of the performance overall, without mentioning names and things? Obviously, finished 34-27 to the Dolphins. But in terms of just an overall picture, give us a sort of 30-second little breakdown of how you, how you saw it, remembering, of course, that it's week one of the NFL preseason. I had three basic... Therefore, it doesn't mean a great deal. I would say I had three basic takes, 30 seconds. One, uh, offense, surprising. You know, they scored the second most of anybody in preseason, so, uh, so that's surprising. Two, defense, maybe even a little bit worse than we thought. And, uh, and three, the bad players were the bad players, you know, um, that those are the three takes that I had, especially in the last one, you know, we talk about the offensive line and how bad they are and stuff like that, but we know kind of who the bad players are on that offensive line and the bad players that played that night, you know, Jordan Mills and left tackle, Will Holden uh, and such, they were the bad players. Um, and that was true in a lot of places on the offense. On the defense, it was different, and it was a little bit worse than maybe we expected, because the good players were some of the bad players, and in, in that in those cases, uh, and those were that. That's kind of what I took away from it. Alf, yeah, what I took away from it is the same thing I've been watching all of camp, and that's the guys that have showed up in camp showed up again in the game. Preston Williams again, as advertised, 
And what I was surprised by in that game was Josh Rosen, not terrible. And on defense, the defensive ends, they're going to have a role on this team. And I don't think they're, they're going to be particularly bad. What I do mm-hmm. think is going to be particularly bad is the way this team plays together on defense. Hard mm-hmm. to look at coaching as, um, you know, as a, as a final, as a whole, because it's week one of the preseason. But what were your thoughts coming out of the game in terms of stylistically, in terms of the way that Flores and his coaches, Patrick Graham and, and Chad O'Shea specifically, dealt with certain scenarios? And also in terms of just the lineups, because obviously we've ruminated for weeks, months really, about how this, this especially this defense will look. What did you see when you're out when they're out in the field in terms of lineups, in terms of breaking down, in terms of the offensive system? Did you come away? Obviously, because we know that whatever happens this season, one and fifteen, two and fourteen, four and twelve, that stylistically it's going to remain the same because Flores is not going to get sacked after one season. This is a longer term mm-hmm. deal because of the the situation. So the, these this offense, this defense are going to be with us for a while. Therefore, did you see things that you could? You, you could see us building on perhaps not this year, but in a couple of years' time when we have much better players, you think, okay, this could work. I think, I think on defense, it was a little bit basic, but um, you, definitely did see, you definitely did see what the bare bones of this defense is going to be. Um, but I think the surprising storyline, sort of the silent storyline on the defensive side of the ball uh, that way in terms of usage and how things were going was really Jerome Baker because uh, – he, he first off he was an impact player um he didn't play that many snaps i think 15 snaps but i'd say that he had an impact on on certainly five six maybe seven of those snaps um depending on what you're looking at and so he was an impact player he was as advertised there but he wasn't used as advertised he was where was he i mean was he ever on the line of scrimmage playing you know sort of like a um, like a, an on-the-line Sam or, or like a, a right outside linebacker or something like that? No, no, he, he did it one yeah. time. He I should one time. keep the good stuff hidden, though, aren't they? Well, yeah, he, that's, he, what, that's what people will naturally say. But, you know, more often than not, when we say that, you look at the regular season and they end up doing in the regular season what they kind of worked on in the preseason. So it's, it's a little weird. And it's like he didn't play on the line of scrimmage at all. He was always in the box. Was he ever pass rushed or blitzed? Uh, no, not a single time. Not a single time. And, and so I, I look at that and I, I wonder about that because I know that they've worked on some packaging clearly and, um, in, and plays in the, in the training camp on him pass rushing and being working on the line and stuff like that. We've heard chatter about him being used like Kyle Van Noy, Dante Hightower. None of that ever made much sense to me because of the build of that player. Um, and I thought they were heading for or you know, sort of trying to fit a round peg in a square hole. And now when I look at what they did in the preseason with him, it didn't look like Donta Hightower. It didn't look like Kyle Van Noy. It looked like Gerard Mayo, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's, more, that's more uplifting to me or more uh, optimistic to me because I think that he could be a second contract player in Miami and a very good linebacker for Miami if they do settle him into more of a Gerard Mayo type role. Um, and where was, what, you know, how was Gerard Mayo used back in the day in New England? It, it wasn't on the line of scrimmage. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't blitzing. I mean, Gerard Mayo hardly ever blitzed. I mean, he was a, he was a fast, instinctive coverage linebacker, also good against the run. I think Jerome Baker can be that. And in this game, he was that. Now, could they go on and just prove me wrong in the second, third, you know, whatever games, and now all of a sudden he's, he's trying to be Kyle Van Noy or Adelius Thomas or Tully Bantacane or whatever, Rob Ninkovich and all those guys? Maybe, I guess. But I don't – I wonder. It, it certainly inserts the thought in my head. Like, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe, this is, maybe this is more what they've got in mind for him, and it might work out pretty well. Interestingly, at the weekend, uh, our good friend Ben Valin wrote a column, his sort of Sunday insider column, and clearly he has good connections with the Patriots. And he wrote that the guy the Dolphins love at linebacker is second year, uh, Jerome Baker from Ohio State, 225-pound speed, so he started 11 games as a rookie. And sources say has emerged as a real team leader. It's clear that people are talking about Baker mm-hmm. as a... Uh, as an important role. And we've, we've kind of known that. We've said a couple of weeks ago that this is potentially Jerome Baker's defense. It's interesting to hear that a journalist in another town 
while still mm. having connections with the with, with the uh, coaching staff well, he came would, down, would come out and ben, say that ben volin came down to to practice he was there for two days and there you go and he was permanently ensconced with uh brian flores so i'm pretty sure he well he also he, he also said then in his column that bobby mccain is devon mccourty and that minka fitzpatrick will be patrick chung which was in the same column which i also found mm. very interesting given you know how we how we view both McCourty and Chung as those vitally important pieces in that Patriots defense. Alf, for you, let's. I mean, you know, the quarterback position is the one that people are always going to talk about. So, how did you view it? Brian Flores certainly said that you know Josh Rosen did a, a fair bit well. There was the, the the pass on third and eight that went for sixteen yards to Preston Williams that they converted where he probably would have liked him to throw it away, completed it, and you know you'll take that. But how did you see it? coming out of the game in terms of performance because it you know from the highlights that I saw I watched every one of Rosen's throws from the highlights that I saw he continued what feels like uh, you know putting pressure on Fitzpatrick to be the number one yeah I thought that the, the quarterback play was actually pretty damn good considering that the offensive line was just so horrifically bad it was comically bad that offensive mm-hmm. line for and it was and it wasn't really the second unit either. It was every single no, it was first. Every, everybody who who even lined up or played. Well, it was it was actually first string. It was the first half offensive line because the second half offensive line. These are not good players in that second unit. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know who the Falcons were feeling out there, but they weren't feeling very good. You know, defensive front players because they actually settled in and, and the offensive line and gave Rosen plenty of time, and that's why you saw him have that second half surge. Well, I thought that that Michael Dieter wasn't particularly bad in the second half in the snaps that he got in the third quarter. Shaq mm-hmm. Calhoun had a couple of decent snaps on the goal line. But considering that they had to overcome that, I thought the two quarterbacks played pretty well. They made, you know, they made chicken salad out of chicken shit for the most part. Uh, but you could tell, and, I, and Chris said something interesting on, on Twitter. He said that that play where Fitzpatrick, left the pocket for that first down on third and five, you could tell that there was a lack of trust there because if he holds it, the, the route's completed on the right side. They had like a flood concept. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that he just like bailed on it. He was like, I'm going to get killed if I just stay here another second. Well, so, those tackles those tackles were the story on that offensive line. I mean, and if you think about it, wow. look at it, look at it. They start with the game without, and stupidly, I was, I was manning the three YPC account at the time, and I didn't get the memo that Laramie Tunsil wasn't going to play. So – I was just looking at it, and I was like, oh, the left tackle really really gave up quite the bull rush there. Uh, that was more on Laramie Tunsil than it was Jesse Davis, um, who only – Jesse Davis only really played a handful of snaps. Um, and it's like, yeah, surprisingly, Jesse Davis held up pretty well on that, that outside speed rush, giving the quarterback plenty of you know, space to, to just step up and complete the pass, as you see quarterbacks do. Um, but it was it was the other it was the left tackle that was getting but well that was Jordan Mills that that explains that and for really the entire time he was in there Jordan Mills was getting pushed around and really doing an and awful have, job out I there. I have a little background. I have a little background on that. Uh, remember they played uh, so they played on Thursday. So there was a practice on Monday. There was a practice on Tuesday. There was no practice on Wednesday. I attended the Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday practices, and those were the only times that I ever saw Jordan Mills train at left tackle. Mm-hmm. It was always Larry Mutunsel taking every single left tackle snap. So obviously they were getting him ready for this game. And then you would see Jared Jones Smith on the second team playing left tackle. Mm-hmm. Okay. I never saw Jordan Mills out there at left tackle, but for whatever reason, they threw him out there those three days at left tackle on the second team. So mm-hmm. they were trying to get him ready for, obviously they had it in their head that they weren't going to play Larry Mutunsel. So they just threw him out there after three days, and they got predictable results. He was bad. But Jordan, well, but Jesse, oh, sorry, but Jesse no, Davis no, on, was Jesse Davis was all right at right tackle. Actually, I was looking at it. he had two drives, and the first drive was was decent. The second drive was even better, um, although shorter. Uh, it was really when Will Holden got in there at right tackle, and then all of a sudden it was just a, a calamity for for whoever's in at quarterback because you've got Jordan Mills on the left side and you've got Will Holden on the right side, and they're taking turns giving stuff up. And yes, Michael Dieter didn't help too too much. I mean, he wasn't a strength out there on the offensive line. I thought Shaq Calhoun was closer to being a strength. 
I thought Chris Reed had one really bad snap where he let in a, a, a pressure right away and forced Josh Rosen to run for his life, but otherwise had a really good game. Um, and that, so, so that's the context. And, and that's why I saw like in that first half, it was, it wasn't so much Josh Rosen running for his life, although he had to do that a couple of times. I thought that he just had a challenge for first half. He, he really, I mean, there was, there were communications issues. They came out of the huddle one time and, you know, players didn't really know what they were doing. And he's, he's sort of like looking at where people are lining up. He's like, Hey, I think you're supposed to, he's not being forceful about it. You know, like, Hey, I think you're supposed to go over here. Like, and he was going to snap the ball anyway, but the coaches ran out in the field and like called timeout right away. Mm-hmm. And there was another play, like a second and eight. He, he clearly came off the quick first read. Um, I, I think it was questionable for him to come off it. It was there. Um, and, and ended up, you know, sort of just being indecisive and dumping it off to the outlet and throwing an, in, you know, a, an incomplete pass, an inaccurate pass. I thought there were a couple of other misses he had. There was a touchdown that they should have had right before the half. Mm-hmm. They missed the guy over the middle. Uh, he missed the back uh, over the middle. Um, I think that, the, you know, he missed one of Preston Williams very early in the game. I think that um, you know, he had the interception, and everybody's like, well, you know, except for the interception, he had a great game. Well, I would say no, because it wasn't just that interception. It was also that, that lollipop he threw up that Preston Williams bailed him out on on third, third and long, and that everybody in the Dolphins organization is like, no, you should not have thrown that pass. Um, that should have – I mean, that was underthrown, and it was, he was being dragged down while he threw it. That should have been picked off. Uh, but it, it, it ended up working out kind of miraculously for him. I thought that first half was really challenged for him. He looked indecisive and uncomfortable. And, um, and then the second half, it was like tail of two halves. He was completely in control, decisive, first read, structured plays, uh, dropping it right in the bucket, uh, just consistent, consistent football out of him. And I think that you know part of it was they started calling the plays a little bit differently. But I also think part of it was – that the offensive line versus that Falcons defensive front, whatever was happening with that defensive front in the second half, um, they solidified, you know, it wasn't great players that we had. I mean, we had like Dunn in there and, you know, and some other guys and Kyle Fuller and not guys that you would trust, but, um, but still they solidified and, and gave him some time and he felt way more comfortable and he looked great. He looked really good in that second half. We'll get to the defensive line shortly, but both lines, both units feel like they could be all-timers in terms of how bad they are. And I I don't (laughs) say that lightly. I mean, genuinely. Uh, And we'll get to that certainly defensively shortly. Uh, A couple of linemen have become available. Jason Spriggs, who was a second-round pick of the Reno Packers. Vlad Ducasse, second-round pick of the Jets, released by Buffalo. There was an article this evening, by, or this afternoon, by Barry Jackson talking about how the Dolphins are not tanking, but tanking, and don't want to be bad at home, but don't want to be good generally, and those sorts of things. And it talked about how they hadn't particularly been players in any sort of free agents. As bad as the offensive line is, do you think that they will have to bring in at least one, maybe two? Players? I mean, are we looking at a scenario where there might even be two players that aren't even on the team at the moment who might be starting week one on that offensive line because it is an all-timer. I would say no. I would say uh, if they're going to bring anything in, bring in a right tackle to, to, I guess, push Jordan Mills for the backup tackle spot. But you can't bring in a guard because you already made a, a pretty hefty investment at guard. And you would say, well, Shaq Calhoun was just an undrafted free agent. You haven't made an investment. Well, you've made an investment in him in training camp. He's taking but he was less of a problem than Dieter in that game. Yeah, I know. And Dieter, and Dieter was a third-round pick. So yeah. the investment is already made at guard. So you've got to find out what you have at guard. So I would say if you're going to bring in anything, bring in, I don't know, bring in, bring in a, a veteran right tackle that can cross-train with, 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 with Jordan Mills, and maybe you can get away with cutting Jordan Mills pretty soon if this guy can pan out, this, new, this hypothetical new guy can pan out. I would it go a different feel- way. I, I, I was sorry. I, I would I would go a different way. I would get a backup center. Chris Reed is having to cross trade and background center because they've got nothing. They've got absolutely nobody that they can trust to take center snaps. If in the event, and, I, and it's inevitable, really. Daniel Kilgore is older, and he last year he kind of took an injury that I associate 
with older players that can't stay on the field very long. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he's going to come off the field at some point and we're going to have to get another center out there. And right now, Chris Reed is having to spend all of his time and think about it. He spent like 50 some odd snaps out there at center in this first game because they've just got no other. He, this was a guy that was supposed to be starting at one of the guard spots, but they they've had to move him to center in order to actually make sure that they've had that, that spot now, taken care you, of. Let me ask you this, Chris. I asked Michael Dieter where he was the most comfortable that, and he said he's On not. The <laughs> well, maybe, maybe after that game against the Falcons. But he said that his tackle days are over, that he's not going to play tackle anymore. At least he doesn't think so. Mm-hmm. But he feels he can play center or left guard in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Could it be that they're thinking we have backup centers and, th- and their names are Chris Reed and Michael Dieter? I don't think Dieter's been taking many snaps there, and I don't think they're going to – see, Very this is few. the thing about rookies is you don't put too much on their plate, right? And this is, mm-hmm. this is one way that you put too much on their plate is by, is by having, having them jump right in at center, even though they haven't really worked too much there, or even just having them work a ton – at center when you're trying to have them be the starting left guard. I, you know, I don't, I don't see it because of that. I, mm. I will preface that by saying you never know with David Guglielmo because last time he was here, he had Joe Berger like basically learning how to, how to snap the football for the first time in his life on the sidelines of a game in which he had to go in and play center. Uh, so I guess you never really know. But um, I would be very interested in seeing Michael Dieter do that because the most interesting I saw him look in college was when he was playing center for the Wisconsin Wisconsin Badgers and particularly if you go watch the LSU game he played that year at center I mean his length his his you know his arm his arm length his um his height his reach that was interesting and unique for a center I don't see him as being very unique at guard he just kind of looks like a guy to me but, um, but yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in it. I just don't see Miami doing it. I think that if you sign our true backup center, then you free up Chris, Gree- Chris Reed to actually help you at one of the guard positions. And, you know, it could be left, it could be right, and you could see whether Michael Dieter reaches out and takes it or whether Shaq Calhoun reaches out and, ta- and takes it, which I think might even be more likely. Um, we'll see, you know, but, but that's, that's the move I would make. If um... – if this was a playoff team or let's say this was the New Orleans Saints or, you know, a quality playoff <laughs> team, the Rams, for example, is it fair to say that only one of these offensive linemen would start on a playoff team? Mm. Wow. That's a really good question. I, I would that's, say that's why I'm here, buddy. Mm-hmm. I think Larry Tunsil starts on about 30. Oh, he starts on. Yeah, of course. But we, we take that as red that Tunsil right. is the Tunsil It's is really the, every the team because he can play left guard, right? Yeah, 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 he'd also play left guard. So, yeah, he plays on all three. But let's take Tunstall out of the equation. You know, mm-hmm. he starts on, you know, behind David Bakhtiari and three or four others. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, top five, top seven, left tackle. But the rest, my, my point is left guard to, to right tackle. Well, maybe the, Jesse Davis, because I'm fairly convinced that as a as a free agent next year, he's going to have suitors. At least I've, I've been told that, mm-hmm. you know, he's he doesn't have a terrible reputation out in the league as, as a guard. This year he's going to play tackle. So who knows if that changes. So I would say Jesse Davis can play on a few teams because I'm pretty sure he will have suitors at season. I think I I agree with you 100%. I think um, Jesse Davis is the only other guy there that would be starting and not every team, but it's going to be at right guard or right tackle. Uh, And I'd say that, yeah, he, he could be starting on a lot of other teams, maybe not every other team. Uh, And I think Daniel Kilgore could be starting because he's a center only. Um, he could be starting on a couple of teams. Uh, there, there are clearly a couple of teams out there that could be struggling at center, and he'd be starting. But he's clearly bottom tier. Hmm. Quick word on Chandler Cox, the fullback, <laughs> who um, I know we don't talk fullback much, but seemed to play particularly well um, and seemed to lay the lumber on a few people at times. Fair assessment of his performance? I mean, very difficult for a fullback to show up in training camp because if you're going knocking guys out in training camp who play on your own team, that's kind of not what you're really there to do. Much more difficult for him to, you know, much more important for him to perform during the game than it is to uh, to do so in training camp because it's he has less opportunities to blow people up. 
Yeah. No, and 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 uh, speaking of blowing people up in practice, it seems like this coaching staff. I don't know if they encourage it, but I would say that they allow it. But Chandler Cox has been part of many a collision in in training camp, including one where Jerome Baker almost killed him on the field. Yeah, he sprung. <laughs> he certainly sprung Mark Walton for that for that touchdown midway through the third quarter with a great seal off block on the edge. So there's just a thing where they allow Chandler Cox to make contact with the linebackers and they don't seem to discourage it while they do discourage it elsewhere. So yeah, all systems are, are go. There's like, what is there really? There's maybe 10 fullbacks in the world. He's one of them. And he, if he's a decent one, that's good on us because we're the only, we're one of three teams that will field one this year. Two, two things. Uh, one, I didn't realize how fun it would be to hear Simon say Chandler Cox on the podcast. Um, and two, uh, it's, I think it's just clear from the game that he's here to stay and that 21 personnel and, and lead blocking from the fullback position is being imported from New England to Miami, and that's no longer an up-in-the-air thing. That is, that's just happening. Um. Finally, let's look at wide receivers, and we've you know, everybody's talked Preston Williams to death. He's he's on the team already. That's a fact, unless something dramatic happens. Who? Because it feels like the Dolphins are probably only going to carry five, maybe six. And throughout this team, actually, there feels like there could be two or three surprise players on the bubble, and certainly defensively, there could be a couple of players on the bubble that we're not expecting at the wide receiver position. You know, there's going to be a Bryce Butler or, a, you know, there's a couple of guys who are potentially not locks that we would have thought would be locks at this wide receiver position because, you know, it does feel like there's a, you know, this this Williams kid has come in and has certainly taken a spot and all of a sudden seven or eight guys are fighting for four positions. Yeah, I was remarking to uh, to one of the beat writers at one of the last practices that I could see where they can have eight of those wide receivers that are in camp right now on NFL rosters this year. And if you look at, if you look at who they have on the roster, all you're really thinking about is cutting Alan Hearns and Bryce Butler and them getting onto a roster somewhere. And then Isaiah Ford getting a shot somewhere. And right there you have eight pro wide receivers. So they're going to have decisions to make. And I mean, Alan Hearns feel like, feels like he's on the outside looking in right now, doesn't he? Yes. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I would say it's, uh, when he got here, it looked like he was a lock to be on. Now he's lo- he looks pretty much like a lock to be cut. I I didn't. I mean, I, I I disagreed a little bit on when he got here whether whether he was a lock. I thought he definitely brought something that they didn't have and that it looked like they could need. But also, you have to look at the contract and the the you know the way they signed him. It was it was basically a roll of the dice. It's one of those things. It's like. You know, hey, if this – I mean, he came off a gruesome injury, right? I mean, physically he's there, but mentally you don't know if he's going to be there. So I, I thought that they were kind of rolling the dice on a home kid and, that wanted to be here, uh, giving him a low incentive-based contract and saying, you know, hey, go earn it and see see what you got. And right now in this first game, he, he wasn't earning it. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the other games, but he is on the outside looking in. I, I wonder, you know, Bryce Butler, because he did – he did look pretty good in the game. And I think that he is, he's definitely a big athletic size, speed story. You know, he's an intriguing player. That's the one that gets a little tough. Um, Maybe Isaiah Ford a little bit too, but I I think Bryce Butler is a guy that gets a little tough. That's where you you could start to see Miami actually get some trade winds blowing because I I know we haven't really weighed on in on the Kenny Stills thing, um, the Kenny Stills, Steve Ross thing, but um, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Kenny Stills shipped out of town, and uh, and 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 then all of a sudden another roster spot opens up, and maybe Bryce Butler could take it. I, by the way, I checked my notes on this because I was thinking maybe you know would they want to showcase Kenny Stills? Well, they haven't so far because they didn't. He had zero targets in that first game, I believe. Mm-hmm. But I, I, other, I also checked my notes, and Kenny Stills is the only wide receiver of the entire group that has taken exclusively first-team snaps on this team. Mm-hmm. The other issue, obviously, clouding the wide receiver situation is Albert Wilson doesn't look close to being, probably close to being ready at the start of the season. I would think that's a fairly, you know, he, it looks like he might even start the season on, on pop, and therefore that means that the Dolphins could potentially fudge it a little bit. 
Mm. But you kind of, if Wilson isn't healthy and you have a rookie in Williams, it's a big decision to get rid of a veteran like Kenny Stills, given that Devontae Parker is oft injured. And then all of a sudden you are down to a recovering Jaquin Grant, a rookie in Preston Williams and a bunch of guys. That is, that's, you know, that's tough sledding for anyone. And how can mm. you get a fair evaluation of, you know, of Josh Rosen if that's what you're left with? If your starting mm. receivers are, you know, Bryce Butler, you know, Preston Williams and, and somebody, you know, a, a guy, that, that's difficult for anybody. You know, that'd be difficult if you had you know, Trevor Lawrence back there, let alone anybody else. Maybe it's not a fair evaluation of Rosen, though. Maybe maybe that's not the focus. Maybe it's just development. I mean, that's that could we we have to kind but of sort of development has to be stunted if you can't if if you don't have the horses to play with. It's it's very hard to to grade development. Right, but that also kind of assumes that he's going to be the starter. And right now, I still th- I th- I think Ryan Fitzpatrick still has the pole position um, in that quarterbacks group, and that's where all the body language has been coming from. Uh, on the the coaching staff is if I mean we have to consider the the idea that maybe Josh Rosen wasn't brought here to play in 2019 and get a fair evaluation for him and determine whether or not we need to take a quarterback in 2020 maybe the the idea has been remained in place the entire time that they're going to get a quarterback in 2020 they just want to have two irons in the fire you know they want to they want to have the RG3 cousins set up you know where they or they, if you know, maybe the the kid that they get in the first round next year doesn't work out, or is is disappointment, or something like that, uh, and then the, the Redskins were certainly glad they had drafted Kirk Cousins uh, in that in that case, and maybe maybe Miami's just looking to get go two for one there. I don't know, but um, but they might not they might not be trying because they're they're certainly not trying to surround Josh Rosen in other ways. Look what they've done with the offensive line; it's a it's a disaster. Uh, so so I don't think this is about I don't think this is about that I mean, like. If, if they've got a buyer for Kenny, yeah, behind that line though is going to last what two games, three games? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I can't say whether he's been, you know, durable, all that stuff. But, uh, but he certainly, I mean, he has the experience of making things happen with bullets whizzing around his head. You saw it in this game. I mean, he did it twice in this game. Yeah. I hope he has a Kevlar vest if we're talking bullets. <laughs> um, coming up, we will discuss the defensive performance and we'll look ahead to Tampa Bay against the Dolphins and certainly the practices that the boys will be at. But first, have a listen to this. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, who you may not know. And O.J. McDuffie. Who you definitely know. And we're getting ready to dive back into the fish tank. That's right, Drew. Season 2 of the Fish Tank Podcast right here on the 5 Reasons Sports Network kicks off on Tuesday, August 6th, with our biggest catch yet. Hall of Famer, Jason Taylor. I got the first hit in, and then he proceeded to, to grab my face mask. And he I swear to God, I've never seen anybody throw so many uppercuts <laughs> in so little time. And he hit me in my stomach, my solar plexus, <laughs> and my esophagus. <laughs> but it was like it was like it was on a, like a boomerang. Like I just kept boomeranging. <laughs> but the whole time he was holding my face mask and my head couldn't move. <laughs> hey, bobblehead. Sw- like this was boomerang before boomerang. He was even out on phones. So don't miss JT, OJ, DJ Preach, and myself. And all new guests. And most importantly, more of the best Miami Dolphins stories that you've never heard. Exactly, Big Seth. We've got an amazing lineup of your favorite Dolphins from guys I played with to guys I looked up to and even some players you'll be cheering for this season. Hey, hey, don't forget those of us who work behind the scenes Yeah, hey, you too. know I won't do that, man, because the fish tank takes you where no other Dolphin podcast can with some of the funniest, wildest, and most interesting stories of what goes on with your favorite team, players, and coaches when the cameras aren't watching. You can find The Fish Tank on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you do your podcast listening. So subscribe and start downloading today. Thanks for diving in. Yeah, yeah. Uh This is Ricky J. Mark. In a world where sports radio continues to shift around the whims of corporate interests, we understand that the constant, unexpected changes can be exhausting from time to time. So that's why we think you should sit back, relax, and take five. Uh, Reasons, that is. So go ahead, grab your smartphone, and subscribe to the 5 Reasons Sports Network, available on virtually every podcast platform. We're South Florida's fastest-growing on-demand sports media network. So you decide when you want to tune in. You decide when you want to listen. Because we know your life can be hectic, 
go ahead, fall in love with our lineup, including Five on the Floor, Three Yards Per Carry, The Fish Tank, Light Skinned Opinions, and Cinco Razones, whenever you want. All you need is an internet connection. So go ahead, tune in, try us out. We're by Miami, for Miami, and spreading rapidly throughout South Florida. Back to Three Hours for Carry. Simon Clancy here with Massive Jetlag, Chris Corbin, uh, and Alfredo Artiaga are with me too. As always, we shall uh, get to Tampa Bay against Miami shortly. But the defensive performance against Atlanta, um, some guy was messaging me, uh, spamming me for weeks about Jonathan Woodard saying he was going to have 10 sacks. And I was a moron for saying he was making <laughs> team. <laughs> so Ouch. I don't know if you're listening. I don't know Ouch. if you're listening, dude, but Jonathan Woodard was cut. So I'd expect oh, okay. a, I'd expect a nice apology. No, I'm joking. You had to, you had to do that. You had to go there. I, 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 I had had to go, go there on that. I had to go there. That is um, one guy. That is one guy that steadily faded throughout training. Yeah. Camp one guy that played. He's one guy off training camp, starting with Tank Carity, and then slowly started fading and fading until he was third team, and now he's no longer with us. One guy that seems to be trending upwards is the aforementioned Carradine, uh, a guy that we all like coming out of Florida State, drafted in the second round by the 49ers, uh, obviously was injured um, and has battled through injuries. But it feels like he's rounding into some sort of shape. Obviously a standout performer with the Seminoles um, and looked to be a nice fit to play inside and outside uh, and seems very happy with his lot. How did you rate his performance on the, uh, against the Falcons? I thought he was so. I I thought he was good against the Falcons and maybe surprisingly good. But I thought that he looked a little bit more like the player we saw in Florida State, particularly when they started using him in space, like you know, out as a as an outside linebacker, pass rusher. Um, and so I wonder about that. I wonder about what he's what he's got there. But then you know, there was the good and bad in that play. Uh, the, I know everybody's thinking of the same play. He had a really good pass rush rep there, but um, the quarterback still escaped right from his grips and managed to get out there. Um, so there's there's good and bad there. I, I think when you're looking at Tank Carradine and you're looking at Ledbetter, Jonathan Ledbetter, who actually was really good in this game, and um, if you had to look at three UDFAs that look like they're going to make it, uh, we've always said, I think, Preston Williams, obviously, first, and uh, Shaq Calhoun, second, and then Jonathan Ledbetter, third. Um, you know, he, he's, probably, he's probably solidified his spot with that game. But, uh, but these defensive ends that we have are not very fast and not very maneuverable and ag- agile. And I think Tank Carradine kind of showed that, that he, he can do some things, but also the ball can escape him. And that makes me wonder if the perimeters will be a little bit soft you know, when uh, when a team tries to sneak it out onto the edges and maybe they can make some big plays that way. So there's there's definitely there, – there are definitely some soft spots in this defense because of that defensive line. Ledbetter had five tackles and a half a sack. Dwayne Hendricks, the kid from mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, had mm-hmm. two sacks, three tackles, one forced fumble. Nate Orchard also seemed to show some of that twitch off the edge as well. Where do you rate these two guys in terms of their ability to make the roster? Starting with starting with Hendricks, who probably was in terms of statistics was the was the best player the Dolphins has on the night, not called Preston Williams. I think that they're going to want both of them back one way or the other. And the way I look at this at this this group of defensive ends, if they could go into the season carrying all every single one of these guys, then then they could probably make it through the season and not have a problem at defensive end. The problem is, of course. Mm-hmm. That you only carry four, and they're going to have to ask these four guys who are limited, who only do certain things well, to do multiple things. And they're not going to be able to mix and match for what they need. So I don't know how they fit as far as, you know, getting actual snaps. I think Carradine makes the team. I think Charles Harris makes the team. And those are the two guys that are going to get the snaps. The rest of these guys, we have to see more. All we know about Hendricks is he's fast. He has one move. And Ledbetter is pretty heavy-handed. He's pretty strong, stout. So I think they both make the team. I, I, I just think that they're, they're, 
they're desperate in need of a guy who can do more than just a two, a couple of things. I think Ledbetter, Ledbetter did well in the ways that will matter to these coaches. I think Hendricks did, did more flashy work in the preseason that might get us excited because of his pass rush moves or yeah, his, his not, ability not as a pass sure. rush. Not to completely yeah. on his performance, but he's really good at being fast against bad tackles. That, that's, yeah. And so, and, and I think that that could be a little bit of fool's gold. We could, we could look at it and be like, ah, oh, did you see the way that Dwayne Hendricks rushed the passer? He's going to make the team. Well, he might, he might not too, because they, they seem allergic to pass rushing in general. I mean, they don't, uh, you look at in the game, Tyrone Holmes, was really, if you look at his edge rush snaps, he was one of the best pass rushers on that line, as was Dwayne Hendricks. And neither one of them are, you know, they're probably more on the outside looking in than on the inside looking out. Um, and certainly we saw that with J. Ron Elliott get, uh, get booted before camp even started, really. And we saw with, uh, before even that, you know, Cameron Wake was not really welcomed back. And, and Robert Quinn was was traded even even eating like a roster bonus so that they could trade him um so you they they seem allergic to those pass rushers i'd I'd be careful buying into you know eating the cheese on those guys because they're looking for the jonathan ledbetters not not necessarily those guys yeah let me and let me and let me say this Uh, we have a great luxury on our team which is larry mitonsel so we get to see the guys go up against them and tyrone holmes all camp has looked absolutely hopeless against mm. Laramie Tunsil. While a guy like Charles Harris, like we make fun of him on this podcast, but you can see that he competes with him. You can tell that Charles Harris is an NFL player. He's going to compete mm-hmm. with a Laramie Tunsil. He may not beat him all time, but he'll compete with him. Tyrone Holmes looks like he's playing, you know, arena football somewhere, and he probably doesn't belong on, on, on an NFL roster when he's going which up of these Which Tunsil. of these ends starts on an NFL, on a playoff team? Yeah, bad. Starts on a playoff team. Wow. Yeah. Goodness. No. I would say Off, much like the offensive line question. Chris? No. I would say none. None of them. None of them. Yeah. What did you make of Charles Harris and Christian Wilkins? Our last two first round picks. Harris, 35 snaps. Wilkins, 25. Wilkins on debut. Just talked about Harris. Briefly give us a quick overview of, of how you felt they performed. I, Charles Harris, I didn't really, I didn't really notice him do much that, that that caught my attention. I, I I kept looking at him and and I saw the same Charles Harris. So I, I didn't necessarily think that he had a great game. I didn't necessarily think yeah. I think he was trying to play solid football, not not really you know trying to be a, a flashy edge rusher or something like that. I think they're these guys are trying to focus really hard on the fundamentals and the hands and using their leverage and keeping reading and reacting the ball reading reacting for him is going to be a little bit of his enemy because I think it's going to, it's going to, it could, it stands a chance to make him a crap pass rusher. Mm. Um, So, you know, we'll see on that. Um, The other guy that you mentioned, uh, Christian Wilkins, he looked like a rookie. I mean, he, uh, um, I I, I want to say this the right way. Like he looked like a rookie in as much as he, he he didn't look like he was ready to go out there and dominate anybody. And um, but at the same time, he didn't look like a rookie in that you know, hey, we've seen rookies go out there and suck, and that wasn't him. Um, so he he did a solid job. He didn't do a fantastic job. I thought that he wasn't all that noticeable. I wish he would have been, but um, but that doesn't mean anything for his future. Yeah, I thought that Chris Wilkins looked pretty good against the against the run on a few snaps. Like you could see, like he brought a part to his game that doesn't necessarily show that often in a rookie, and that's a guy that was, that was just going to dominate the guy in front of him and make a play in the backfield. He had an opportunity for a couple of those plays, didn't make them, but you could see where it was it was coming, you know. So I thought his debut wasn't as bad, you know. It was it was okay. It wasn't terrible. Charles Harris, I agree with you. He's you just don't you just don't know he's out there until he actually. Do you think? Do you think Andrew Van Ginkle will be starting by the end of the season? I think he's turned out to be a he's turning out to be a pretty good linebacker. You know, mm-hmm. um, he he showed real linebacker skills out there. I mean, he looked good. He looked good defending the the edge the edges, um, and that's and he looked good in coverage. Uh, I think he looked good at at Wisconsin doing those things as well. Uh, it was when when he kind of got down in pass rush that I was like, "Wow, that's so that's that's all the explosion you're really bringing to the table." Um, you know, that's there was something missing there. 
uh, and that you wish he would have given the role that he could take in this defense. He's the only guy that you could say, oh, maybe he can play like Kyle Van Noy. Maybe he can play like Donta Hightower or somebody like that. Um, and he's not there. He's, he's not there from a pass rush standpoint. Yeah, and I spoke to him. I spoke to him at camp, and I asked him, you know, what do you envision yourself doing for this team? And you would think that he would say, you know, he, I, I envision myself playing weak side linebacker like they've been playing me all camp, but he, that's not what he said. He said he envisioned himself more as an edge guy, a situational guy for this season. Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't necessarily seen that, but, yeah, I agree with you. He's been a pretty good linebacker. Another one that I would, you know – I would point out he's been pretty good. I think he's going to be on an NFL roster. I don't know if he's going to be on ours. Is Trey Watson? He's been good all cap. Just about to mm-hmm. say that Trey Watson. Do you think that there's a possibility that Raekwon McMillan might be on the bubble more on the bubble than we think? Hmm. That one. No, I don't think so. I think because ultimately he's he's a pretty good tackler. Um, if he's bringing what he what he had in uh, in Ohio State, I think you know Brian Flores is coming out of this game and he's he's got to be going crazy because he saw he saw a lot of bad tackling and um, and so this that that could be it could even be sort of the message and the theme that you're looking at as you go um, through the through the season is they need some good tackling. They need much better tackling here. And Raquan McMillan, you know, showed a lot of flashes of it last year. And there there were some there were some misses, but um, you know, he showed flashes of of being a good tackler last year and being a good run defender last year and being a good tackler at Ohio State. I don't think he's in uh, in danger. I think Trey Watson could make the team because he's such a good tackler. Watson played, Watson played 62 snaps. Uh, Nick Needham played 69 snaps. Watson feels like arrow up. Mm. How low is Nick Needham's arrow? Mm. Tough. <laughs> Can we go negative? Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, my God. It was uh, a bad performance, wasn't it? Oh, my God. It was, it was as bad as you can make it. Like, I started feeling bad for the guy. I started saying yeah. – I started thinking to myself, That's this tough. is the kind of preseason performance that gets you cut the next day. I don't. I don't know why they thought he was ready for that. Yeah, and and I don't understand what they did. What they did either. I guess Eric Rowe found an injury, or they just decided to hold him out. But Eric Rowe was on kind of a hot streak. Had a good scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Was having a bunch of good practices in a row. Then all of a sudden he shows up and he's just standing there and he's on the sideline next to Rashad Jones. And Rashad Jones actually is wearing a, a walking boot. And then when we ask, you know, what's wrong with him, they say, Oh, there's nothing wrong with with Rashad Jones. Although he's wearing a walking boot. Okay, and then you see Nick Needham gets in there, and Needham mm-hmm. was in there as CB two for two practices leading up to the game, and sure enough, he rolls out there with Xavier Howard, and he was bad. He was bad in practice. He was bad again in in the game. Like I don't know what they're gonna do. Uh, I've seen Jamal Wilkes play some there. I've seen Cornell Armstrong play some there. Obviously, Eric Rowe will start the season there if he's healthy, but yeah, this was just bad. Uh, this guy cannot be long for the, for the team. Eric Rowe was injured, uh, nursing a, mm-hmm. an injury, an un, undisclosed injury. This is not good news for a team that has one lockdown corner and then it feels like it has just a bunch of guys on the other side. Yeah. Remember that, Remember though, that just on the eve of training camp, they kind of made some moves in this position or at this particular position. And, you know, with David Rivers coming in and, um, and sort of, so, Tyler Patman coming in. Tyler Patman, by the way, was not bad and has NFL experience. So mm-hmm. um, they could look toward, toward that. Uh, Jalen Davis is still there. And it, I thought felt like he had a really solid day. Uh, but you're starting to see it now with, with Cordrea Tankersley being like basically a memory and, um, and Cornell Armstrong, not really, not really, getting anybody talking about him. Tory McTire not really getting anybody talking. He does have experience and he's worth he's worth mentioning, but um not really making himself stand out either in camp or in the game. And them doing surgery at this position last minute. I mean they're 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 worried. They're worried here. You got Nick Needham starting the whole game because Eric Rose got an injury. You better be worried because he was he was not good. He he looked he looked like a UTEP minor that was all of a sudden thrust into being a starting NFL quarter, a cornerback, and um, and it looked it didn't look pretty. 
Yeah, and I didn't understand it. When you have Tory Mc, not that we, you know, that, that he's just all all these great shakes or anything, but you have a couple of years already invested in Cornell Armstrong. You have Tory McTire. Start one of them guys, you know, and because those are the guys that are going to realistically probably have to step in for Eric Rowe in the regular season. Nick Needham was just an experiment, and throwing him out there, well, I thought was needless. To get more, him. get more snaps for Jalen Davis and Cornell Armstrong for yeah, this next game. Know. See what they get. See what they've got. I just want to throw some names at you. Keon Crossan, Duke Dawson, Stefan Gilmore, JC Jackson, Jonathan Jones, Jason McCourty, McCourty, mm-hmm. Obi Melafonwu, Ken Webster, Joe Juwan Williams. That's an awful lot of talented cornerbacks that the New England Patriots have got. Although Obi is a safety. But yeah. Although Obi is a safety, but I know he's been cross-training. I know how high right, they right. are. Right. JC Jackson, I know that Jonathan Jones plays an awful lot of snaps. Sure. Williams, they're hugely high on. Um, obviously Gilmore's probably the best corner in the game currently Duke Dawson was a second round pick last year not all of those players are going to make surely not especially when you throw in you know Patrick Chung and uh, you know Jaron Harmon and all those guys at safe Devin McCourty etc not all of those guys are going to make the team are they it feels like again it, it feels potentially like as I mentioned with the offensive line that a a starting guy because I don't think you can rely on Eric Rowe might mm-hmm. not even be on the roster currently. The guy that starts opposite Xavier Howard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, look at Tyler Patman. He has he yeah. has a lot of experience in the NFL. He just he just got a, got to be a late ad, and you could see him thrust into work all of a sudden. It's it's conceivable. Oh, look at mm-hmm. Morris Claiborne. Morris Claiborne had what amounted to was a near Pro Bowl season last year. I know Pro Football Focus loved him last year. They had him as a top five corner. And he went unsigned all this time, and now he's going to start for the Kansas City Chiefs. So yeah, I th- it's it's interesting to say at least how these guys could just make it all the way deep into training camp and not get a nibble. He would have been a guy that I would have, you know, kicked the tires on. I would say you can't address every position in a, in every yeah. off season, but at the same time, I mean, did they really address any position in this off season? Because <laughs> and it was basically Christian. Wasn't is that is that fair? I mean, it's Christian Wilkins and a bunch of scratch offs, right? Yes, pretty much. Yeah. So let's um let's just kick it ahead briefly to Tampa Bay and the practices and the game. What are you expecting, hoping, looking forward to seeing? And realistically, what are the expectations of growth over the next few days? Well, I'd like to see – well, I won't be at the, at, the, at the practices. Chris will be for the next two days. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. I want to see in the game – in the practices, I want to see the same thing I've been seeing all of, all of training camp and in the one game. I want to see Preston Williams dominate. I want to see him with the highlight catches. I want to see him take over a practice now against an, another opponent. Now, I do want to see one thing particularly in, in that game. Supposedly, Ndamukong Sue is going to play, and he's going to play more than a quarter. I want to see him not wreck our entire offense <laughs> because he's going to go up against, think about this, Michael Dieter and Shaq Calhoun because they continue to be the starting guards. They have to block a guy who was, you know, formerly, formerly played for us. So you're going to think that maybe he might have it in his head to embarrass us completely. <laughs> so I'll tell you, I'm going to somebody who's been somebody's, on that matchup. Somebody who's been playing very well in training camp with the Buccaneers is the nose tackle, uh, Vita Vea, last year's first yeah, round pick. Yeah. I was, gonna I was provide, just going to bring him up yeah. as well. He's going to provide a very interesting challenge for whoever it is that finds himself uh, snapping the ball to whichever quarterback we decide to play. It, so it's going to be. I, I, I'll just say that, that that's what I want to focus on. I want to see. I, I'm pretty sure that Ndamukong Su is going to be kind of concentrating on embarrassing us in this game. I want to see if we keep him from embarrassing us. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We're going to field. We're going to be fielding two rookies out there: Michael Dieter and Shaq Calhoun um, at, at the two guard positions. Surrounding uh, and the guy between them is Daniel Kilgore, who, you know, we has looked all right so far in training camp, and and we have maybe reason again to think that maybe he could play decently well this year if he if he does play. But at the same time, he's looked bad in his past too. So uh, it's a it's a really Really weak interior line, and they're going to be facing not just Ndamukong Sue and, you know, Vita Vea, but also 
like a stalwart guy like Bo Allen or somebody like, mm. you know, there, there's, these are 300, Bo Allen's 327 pounds. Vita Vea is, you know, the size of a house. He's 350 pounds. Um, and then Indomitian Sue plays like he's 350 pounds, even though he's, he's a lot more uh, sleek. Uh, this is going to be tough for those interior guys. That's going to yeah. be the story of this, this, uh, this train or these training camp practices. I guess it's not really t- in training camp anymore, but um, yeah, I mean, th- that's going to be the story of these practices that interior, can they even get time now? If they do, if they do get some time and they're able to throw some footballs out to the perimeter to Preston Williams, Devante, don't count out Devante Parker. I mean, he's, he's been having a great, uh, great off season. Uh, you've got guys, you know, Vernon Hargreaves, you can take advantage of a little bit. He's a little smaller guy out there. Um, you know, you've got some other guys, Ryan Smith and, um, and some, I mean, they've got the big know, guys, there, haven't they? Sean Bunting, who they draft. They do out. have, uh, yeah, uh, West Carlton Sean Davis. And, and Carlton Davis, obviously. Yeah, that was Sorry, Carlton Davis, he's big. Yeah, he's a big guy. Yeah, but, um, but I mean, there's still, you can do damage on the, in this secondary, I think. Um, it's just that, it, you know, getting through that stout middle or not letting those, that stout middle really get through you to the quarterback. Um, and the safeties and Jordan Whitehead – and, and Mike Edwards, I actually, you know, like um, as a as a young guy, uh, I, I think there's stuff that to be had in the secondary, and it could show up in practice, especially if they're not they're being you know friendly with the sack calls and you know, just continuing on, continuing play. Mm-hmm. Um, Ali Marpet against Christian Wilkins should be a challenge for for Wilkins, shouldn't it? A real you know Pro Bowl slash potential Pro guard that you know one of the be- one of the league's best guards. He's going to be going up against for for a couple of days. This is going to provide a big challenge for the youngster. Yeah, and yeah. Ryan Jensen as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they're going they're going to have the offensive line. The offensive line of the uh, the Buccaneers should be pretty. I mean, I think it should be pretty stout. I mean, if you look at Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen, that's that's all right already. But they've also got the the tackle position. They got Demar Dotson on the right side. That's that's a pretty good right tackle. Donovan um, Smith, yeah. I mean, Donovan, you know, has his moments. Yeah, he's right. big. He's a big, dominating presence. But this isn't um, a great team, though, is it? The Buccaneers. It's not. You go across the roster. No, it's not a great no. team. This, this is a team. Sexy, there's some sexy matchups in there. Like, yeah, yeah. there are. But I mean, Chandler I think the Cox, interesting sex- Chandler Cox against Devin White. That's something I want to see. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think more importantly is Chris Godwin against the uh, numbers yeah. corner. Oh, Mike Evans. Evans. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, Mike well, Evans, Mike and, Evans. And Howard, you know that that feels like a battle. Will it always be Xavier or not? I yeah. don't know. Well, I mean, if you're Bruce Arians, you want to make sure that it's not. But you know, yeah. Chris Godwin and Rashad Perryman, who obviously played much better last season, mm-hmm. are, are going to um, provide some interesting, um, interesting challenges. And then, like you say, at linebacker Devin White and also Levonta David, you know, for Chandler Cox and those. Although he's injured. Battles... So. Oh, of course he is. Yes, yeah. of course he is. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll um, it will be interesting to see how it how it plays out. Chris, tell the good people when you'll be down in Tampa. All right, I'll be down in Tampa watching the uh, the joint practices tomorrow. This is the Tuesday, the August thirteenth, and I'll be down there again on uh, August fourteenth. They're going to have morning practices, and uh, and I'll basically be um, be living it up down there with uh, acting like a big shot with my uh, media credential. Um, buy, him a, buy him a beer if you see him, but do not buy him an Indian meal because he will steal yours. <laughs> um, and I, you know what? I'll hold it against you forever when you just of course you steal will. mine. Um, but yeah, seriously, I, I will be down there for both practices, uh, and you know I'll be watching the game just like anybody else. But uh, but we'll, we plan on we plan on doing something. We're not sure exactly what, as far as like podcasts uh, after the practices to to give you kind of updates on what's been going on. Um, I will be tweeting from the three YPC account, so you can look for that. And, um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how they do down there. Thanks so much indeed for listening. Thanks. Uh, as always, we shall be back with that information uh, on Twitter as to where you can find a, a sort of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A sort of a, a sneaky podcast that you weren't expecting. I might just drop one of those for you. Bonus. Um, otherwise, we will get bonus. That's the key word. Bonus. Why couldn't I think of that word? Um, <laughs> maybe because I've been up for about three days um, 
thank you American Airlines for being one of the worst airlines I've ever flown um, that is it for this week my thanks to Alf and to Chris like I said buy a beer in Tampa and we shall be back next Monday although there'll be the bonus so look out for that too cheers bye thanks for listening to 3 Yards Per Caddy you can subscribe via iTunes on Podbean or your usual podcast provider At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.